Generations seem to be a big deal. Not sure you want to be defined by the year of your birth? Aren't we all unique? Then how do we explain Tinder and self-branding to a boomer? And how do you explain the importance of keeping a home and budgeting to a millennial? I'm Katie McEwen, a baby boomer and the author of Oldie's Guide to the Millennial World. My friend Anna Blackie is a millennial and the author of How to Adult. And in this podcast, we talk about the things that make our generations different and what we can learn from each other to make living in this crazy world a little bit easier. So one of the big differences that we've come across in both of our, I think both of our writings of our books is the difference, the main difference is the whole rise of the digital world in between the baby boomers generation and that of the millennials and how that has completely taken over the world of people living today. Um, and it just didn't exist when I was growing up. So, uh, um, you know, Facebook first sort of social media came in, I think about 2004, um, obviously well after I was through that part of my life. <laughs> um, and we, you know, lived, this is really about how we lived in a world that was, you know, had no digital content at all, no computers, no smartphones, it's no bizarre. digital content. <laughs> um, and the and what the implications of that. So you have crossed over a little bit of that in that you Facebook came in while you were at high school I think yeah um, but now your life is completely consumed by all those things <laughs> completely consumed is a bit harsh Katie <laughs> well uh, uh, you know unfortunately my life is almost completely consumed too because mm. that's how you have to operate in this world and if you're not part of that whole world uh, yeah, you're missing boring. out on yeah. something yeah um, and also the all the positives that come from it like being able to online shop or book things online or mm. research things online, of course, make a huge difference to all of our lives. Yeah. But we did grow up without any of those things, um, and it was quite different. I think it's sort of interesting to see how that has changed over time. Yeah, I think it's interesting as well that when we have conversations about the internet and how things have changed, people do often seem to focus on how like the negative changes associated with the internet. We don't really talk about the positives as well, and some like. Definitely, uh, I mean, like, the positives being more connected with people that you love and being able to see, like, a wider network of things and discover discover things that you might never have discovered before. Yes. I mean, like, you and I working in a book industry, like, having the internet is an amazing resource, like, being able to download audiobooks and to read books online and to research my next read and use platforms like Goodreads to rate and review and just engage yep. with that network. I think, like, as authors and as people in publishing like that is a really really amazing thing to be able to engage with and like that is part of what makes the internet really fun for yes. me and yeah yes and the time saving um, aspect of it where you know you can you don't have to go out to a shop on a saturday to find one thing you can research online you can yeah. compare items online there's just a whole lot of benefits yeah and i mean like as we spoke about in our other episode about budgeting like online shopping is a really it's great and terrible but also yes. like it is a really it's a nice thing and i think that if when used correctly it can help people save a lot of money it can help people find the things that are right for them and yeah yes yeah. and it nice saves resource. a lot of time as well in terms of even when work spaces um you know being able to email people and yeah uh, communicate online for overseas clients in using zoom or skype or whatever yeah. those things are all completely positive in well, terms like of the email technology. thing is crazy as well because it's like that seems to be one of the biggest cornerstones of working in a professional setting and the idea that like what 20 years ago maybe even less like emails were not a thing at all no. like that's like you're literally sitting on your computer in front of your emails all day it's like one of the on your what 
<laughs> you mean if I'd be a typewriter? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was using my fax machine. <laughs> yes, your fax machine and your carbon copies. If you wanted oh, to have wow. two copies of something, you could put some carbon paper between well, your pieces. You wouldn't just rewrite it twice? No. no. <laughs> no but it's just so, it's so crazy to think how different things were. Like, I, I remember when like what like 15 years ago like I didn't have a phone and I didn't have any of the technology that I have now and just like the changes yeah ridiculous really but I think that's a real issue now and I'm very glad that I'm not parenting now in an age where the screens are so prevalent and you Mm -hmm. hear all those terrible stories about people breastfeeding and looking at their phone rather than looking at their babies and them not learning facial expressions and and then you see kids you know with iPhones in prams with iPhones and of course it's such an easy way of entertaining children yeah um and putting constraints around those things as a parent i think is just another added problem yeah, another that thing i'm glad about. i don't have to deal with i read this thing the other day about kids in the uk and it was something about how um kids that were like going into preschool had no fine motor skills because of all the ipads and all the tablets and stuff that they were using and so they literally had to teach them how to use their hands so that they could start learning right. how to write so they're not playing just, with yeah, they're not, not playing with actual toys. Yeah, and they yeah. didn't have any like hand eye coordination and stuff because they're right. not doing like actual physical but and I mean like the UK is a really interesting case study for that because um, it part of this study was about how kids are playing inside a lot more because the weather's so terrible now that they have the option to be on digital all the time. Yes. Like there's no desire to go outside and play and do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it was I think they said something about how kids under 10 in the UK spend less time outside than prisoners do like it's just oh, it's insane yeah it is yeah. terrifying yeah that which is it. funny because um we have some friends in Sweden who have small kids and they go to preschool but they go in with a complete snow gear and they're outside for three or four hours a day oh, really? even though it's freezing cold <laughs> and they're you know wrapped up in huge outfits yeah. but that importance of that is huge isn't it yeah and being able to connect with your child bit of rain never worried yeah and well it's like it's fun like and if you learn when you're younger to engage with that kind of stuff then it makes you much more adaptable when you're older but that's also a part of the thing we were talking about before about parents and often both parents working so they're time poor and it's so much easier to put a child in front of a digital screen than to interact a game with with, in a game with them yeah or in anything more um, concrete than and that. like again yeah. there are positive aspects to that whole digital thing as well like you can have educational games for your kids and yes they can be like watching and doing things that are good on yes. there but then it's also like that whole level of like you just don't know and like because children are now digital natives it means that they have so much more control over the digital that they're using and to the extent where they can completely do all this stuff that their parents have no idea that they're doing and yes. then they can clear search histories and like know how to close tabs really quickly and mom and dad have no idea what's going on yes yeah true. yeah like definitely my even my cousin who is i think he's like 17 now so he's only like really 10 years younger than i am he our digital knowledge is just miles apart. Like, I could not keep up with him. He right. basically lives online, and it's just... It's insane to ha- that he has that level of internet proficiency, and we're not that far apart, but it is, yeah. like... Yeah, we're separated by this huge internet divide, and it's really, yeah, it's insane. Yes. I think all those things are just much more um, cluey about understanding how these things work, understanding how just general things about browsers and about how the whole... Even if you don't have the in-depth computer science knowledge of how things work mm. they're just the interaction with it is just much more natural to yeah. your, your generation and i'm often being 
pointed things out asking you, can you just come and show me how to do this? <laughs> it's just so natural to you just to click on a couple of things where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. that makes sense, but I would never have thought of it. Yeah, yeah. it's you kind of grow up with those operating systems and then they just almost become part of your, like, your language. It's just a whole extra part of your brain, really. Yeah. yeah. I suppose one of the um, more negative things about the social interaction and your social connect- connectivity is that you can just get sucked into a whole world where everything is very insular um, and these things that I talk about in the book about echo chambers where all the information you're getting is designed directly to appeal to all the things you like and the more you like, the more things feed into that and so you're only then exposed to things that are similar and people can become very insular in that, which yeah. I think is a real problem. Um, and the way I learned, which I thought was interesting to deal with that, is to encourage you to... Uh, interact with much broader groups and get in new sources from various different places rather than you're just sticking with the one or two that you're comfortable with yeah. so that you get a bit of a variety of um, views. Well, it wasn't until I read your book that I realised I was in an echo chamber. Like, I knew the term, I knew what it was. I just had never really, like, applied that to my own internet existence. Then afterwards I went and it was right after that Q&A episode where they um, censored the feminist discussion and so I decided that I would go and watch that Q&A episode and then I was like right I'll go watch some like alternative um, news discussions on this and so I watched Alan Jones which <laughs> um, was probably a mistake um, and then I was filled with rage and decided I'm going to live in my echo chamber for the rest of my life so I'm kind of okay with that. <laughs> yes it's interesting because because you assume that you're getting a wide range of news from any outlet yeah. and of course you're not you're getting things that are very biased one way or the other yeah. and, and then it's really shocking to hear that there's like the whole world that doesn't agree with what you think yeah, yeah. and i think also we all fall into that trap of like i'm right i can't believe anyone else would think differently because what i think is so clearly right to me and then you hear someone else that's saying exactly the same thing about something that's completely different and it's really like how can that person be so stupid like i can't believe that anyone wouldn't agree with this thing that i think because this is what all the things I'm reading are also agreeing with. So it's, yeah. And I think that's a tendency at our age as well to become very, to become more narrow-minded as you get older. And this just exacerbates that hugely yeah. when you're just being exposed to the same things all the time. Yeah. Well, I guess you see that a lot with, like, internet trolls and, like, you know, like, keyboard warriors and stuff. And, like, I think from my perspective, like, uh, platforms like Reddit are a really big place where that kind of happens. And you see, right. like, especially, I mean... For me, I see it as, like, a lot of guys my age that sit on these, like, forums and just kind of like, mm, yeah, we're the best. And like, we know all the stuff and look at this. So and... explain to me what Reddit is because I have heard it but I don't really understand what so it is. So Reddit is like a, like a forum that it has a lot of different conversations going. So there are a whole bunch of, like, things called subreddits where you can have different conversations happening and basically it's, like, a platform where people discuss whatever it is that their chosen topic is so right. you have reddit as like a general almost like google and then like within that you've got all of the subtopics that you can branch down so into. it's where you um, accumulate what different views on different aspects that you want to come into your feed yeah yeah pretty much so you can choose like what subreddits you want to follow so you can follow the ones about space or you can follow the ones about game of thrones or you can pick right. political ones or this and that and then it kind of like yeah gets very narrowed down from there they're all like whole reddit subreddits just devoted to like memes and that kind of stuff right. but then you do get a lot of like really toxic conversations as well um and 
there's this one that like I've read occasionally to fuel my feminist rage. This is a theme for this podcast, but it's called The Red Pill, and it's like this subreddit that's all about like guys like trying to pick up girls and like talking about like the inner working of like females' minds and trying to like deconstruct like why women are the way that they are and like you know guys have to be dominant and all this. It's just like toxic masculinity bullshit, really. Right. But it, that's the kind of like. You see these, like, people start threads and they have these conversations that, like, follow the threads and, yeah, it's all gets very intense. <laughs> and what about privacy, Anna? <laughs> is there an issue with privacy, given that your whole life is on a digital platform and people can basically search whatever they want about you? Yeah. Or is think, it just not an issue? Um, I definitely think privacy is a big issue online. Um, I remember in the last couple of years of high school, for me, they started to bring in discussions about how to frame your persona online Mm -hmm. especially for things like job searches and like yeah potential employers like seeing what you're doing on Facebook um and I think there was like a big thing where a lot of girls at my school were posting photos of them going out and getting really drunk when they were underage and it was like well once you put it on Facebook it's there forever and there's definitely been that like kind of line of what's on the internet stays on the internet and even if you think you've deleted it it's there forever yes and I think that we I mean, it's kind of that, like, out of sight, out of mind thing. Like, you post something and then it disappears down your feed and you're like, oh, it's gone, you don't need to worry about it. But actually, like, it's always everything. There. Yeah, it's mm. always there. But and don't I, your generation just think that there's no such thing as electronic privacy because you know that it's, you know, it's not worth worrying about because you give so much information away to everything you sign up for. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a difference between information in, like, a, like a data sense and then, like, actual personal information because it's, like... Sure, like, I've given out my date of birth and, like, some places probably have my address and all of that kind of stuff, but, like, I'm not telling people what, like, my darkest secrets are or, like, sharing that time when I was 16 and something really embarrassing happened. Like, Mm. those, yeah, to me, those are two really different things. Mm. And I think, like, online, there's a level of information that I'm comfortable being, like, comfortable with having online and then there's something... Which is interesting because I think for our generation all of the information is online we probably wouldn't be comfortable with all that being online yeah. we know it is but but it's yeah whereas it's I funny. think you are comfortable with that because that's the only way you can operate in this world yeah and I definitely used to have like a lot of fear like even with buying things online I'd be really worried about like putting my credit card details in and stuff because I think that previously online security which I feel yes. is different from online privacy yes. was like less secure yes. and there yes. was way more of a risk of people taking your credit card details or finding your address and that whole thing like when I was first using the internet my mum and dad were like oh don't give your address out to strangers and all that kind of stuff which you should not give your address out to strangers but it was a, a much bigger thing that everyone spoke yes. about more and now like the more you engage online and the more of a digital native you become the more you understand like where you should and shouldn't share your information yes. I think I think um, the security of payments and things is all yeah it's way know, better now not understandable but it's um, <laughs> you can yeah it's, if, it, you can have some security and confidence that it's um, that it's there that yeah. It's safe. yeah yeah but I guess that two those two things like online security and online privacy really are two very different beasts like yeah. um and I think yeah like privacy for me is about protecting my character more than protecting my information yes Um, yeah and I think now as well like um now that I'm an author yeah maybe one day famous you know great um I don't there's a lot more stuff that now I kind of second guess what I'm posting online a little bit more and uh, like I had a friend that borrowed my phone the other day and was using one of my dating apps and she was like messaging people and stuff on there and I was like I actually am not 
okay with that because yeah. now like it's a very very unlikely chance and maybe I just had my head up my butt a little bit but I was like if someone was to recognize me and then be like oh that person said something yeah. that like I, I don't want associated with my character and that yeah, yeah. But that go- and that turns into this whole conversation about self-branding, which yeah. is um, another thing that millennials are just so good at, <laughs> and how important that is. So yeah. everything you put out really reflects on your character, and yeah. that's. Um, I mean, it's turned into a huge industry for a number of people who do it on a professional basis. But um, you, you know, in terms of employment, it's very easy for people to be able to find things about you online that um, reflect on you, and yeah. it's important to make sure that that message is. Is what you want it what you to want. be. Mm. Yeah, and I think part of the scary thing about being online is that um, when you start being on socials and everything from such a young age, you have less control over what ends up being your like online footprint yes. later. And yes. I know now Facebook does that thing, the on this day memories yes. thing. And I look at it every day because I'm now obsessed with going back and deleting the statuses that I made like 10 years ago oh. because some of them are just... I was like a freaking dork. Like, I but just, does that matter? Would it ever be deleted? Um, no, prob- probably not. Like, yeah. it, but but also, it's not as if I'm saying like something really ridiculous or inappropriate. It's just really dorky shit. And but that's I don't, just like growing up, isn't it? That's, yeah, and it's like cringeworthy. And like, I yeah, think it's the, the positive of your generation is that like like you can't go no, back and look at the status <laughs> that you posted ten years ago. Yes, yes. true. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's that's right. You just. Um, all those memories and things but I think people especially with Facebook I've noticed just over my time um, it was very popular and everybody used it and now very few few people use it or put statuses up pretty regularly I mean I think even my generation are using it much less than they did 10 years ago when it used to be everybody doing it and now few people moved to Instagram because that's just easier and it's less invasive seems less Mm. invasive you put a nice picture up and well, you can put a story up and it disappears in 24 hours and it's just <laughs> And then easy. nobody can look back on it in 10 no, years. So that's, that's right. Nice, no one yeah. will be able to tell you what you put. Um, <laughs> so I think it, people are less willing to share all those things now. Yeah, I think so too. I, also, I your generation think... seem not to use Facebook like that anyway. You yeah. Use it more to meet up or to make groups or to rather than to tell everybody to what you're doing. To post on things, yeah. Because, I mean, for me, Facebook, and like I think for my cohorts as well, like... Oh, Facebook is for like making events yes. and for Messenger. Yes. Um, and like occasionally you'll post things on there. Like the only things that I would ever post on Facebook would be things that I would want like my extended family who might not have Instagram to see. Yes. But like I primarily use Instagram. Um, yeah, again, unless yeah. I'm like messaging people. Mm. What do you use Facebook for? I hardly ever use it now. Yeah. I mean, I did used to use it, and but I don't, I find that I don't need to. Again, the same with you. If there was a big major event, or, you know, something even like the fires, I might put a post up if our house was close to the fires yeah. last week and say the house is safe or whatever, just because it gets then to all the people overseas yes. who uh, would otherwise it's be asking. To contact yeah. Otherwise, yeah. So it's sort of broad, more a broadcast for something big, yeah. but I, wouldn't use, I don't ever use it for day-to-day stuff. Yeah. So I think Facebook's interesting in that I think people are still looking at it but seem to be posting less. I mean, I think the community-based posts are still have a real place on Facebook. Um, yeah. And that's, again, another thing that came out of the big fires in the last few weeks in Australia, where community-based organisations and the RFS and those people were putting updates on Facebook because it does reach a More lot of people, people and it's yeah. an easy way to reach a lot of people. But I find individual people seem to be using it less and less. Yeah, I definitely think it's more of, like you said, like a community-based thing now, like you're really using it to connect with people 
or just to see on a larger scale like what people are up to like seeing what events are happening and and networking with that kind of stuff but not actually like sharing your own mm. posts because it just seems almost like pointless to share your posts because no one else is doing it I guess I think it is kind of that like lemming thing as well like people don't want to share if no one else is sharing and then when everyone stops sharing that's kind of it what mm. do you think about social media fatigue do you feel like it's overwhelming to have to use social media as much as we do no but I don't think that we well I don't think my generation uses it nearly as much as your generation mm. so I don't think um, that it's a huge issue for us mm. um, and will there be a next thing after Instagram what's the next thing that will come along yeah that I mean your there generation are will feel they need to use yeah I mean because like for me watching kind of the evolution of social media, it kind of started with, like, MySpace and then onto Facebook and then yep. now Instagram. And, like, I definitely feel like I, like, social media tires me and that I don't... If there was a new platform that started to surface, I don't know if I could... If I have the energy to, like, invest more time in that. Mm. But it's... At the same time, like, I also like Instagram and I like Facebook or like yeah. like is probably too strong a word like I have both of those platforms and I use them very frequently to the point where I've had to put like a timer on Instagram and it tells me how much time I spent on there like once I hit 15 minutes it's like you've gone over your 15 minutes like no more Instagram in one time in one day yeah yeah in one day yeah. um but like often I'm like oh yeah 15 minutes like whatever and then I keep on scrolling anyway and it's like well, yes because yeah. I think it does take up a huge amount of time and I think yeah. that the other interesting thing is that it's a distraction I mean I know that your generation are much better at multitasking than our generation were but people have because that stuff's so accessible it's on your phone and you're at work and it beeps and you, yeah, you look, look at it, it and then your mind's off whatever you're doing um, yeah. and I, I find exactly the same um, so you know I think the solution whether the solution is to turn your phone off and put it in your bag and not look at it till yeah. lunchtime but it's very hard to do because the conversation in the office is all around things that are happening all the time so people are commenting on something and then you think oh and you I have to be that engaged. so you look at it yeah, and yeah. that's part of and it's just managing all that I think is really interesting yeah and I think it's interesting like what like how you're finding that kind of stuff that everyone's the trending things that people are talking about as well because mm. I feel like when I am looking at news or like reading blogs or reading articles and stuff I feel more fulfilled and like when I'm on Instagram mindlessly scrolling I always come away feeling empty like it's not a pleasant experience really like and I also the more time I think about it the more I realize that it's just like it's a waste of my time there are so many things that I could be doing that would fulfill me more and give me more enjoyment but instead I'm sitting here looking at photos of people that are skinnier than I will ever be or eating in more delicious food than I will or living this really great life and it makes me feel like it's not even that I'm envious or that I want those things it's just this weird like mirror to hold up to your life and it makes you very like I don't know jittery like <laughs> it's not good and is that because see I don't think I'm using Instagram <laughs> in any way near the way I should be because <laughs> I just look at the people I follow and that's not that many people so yeah. and I don't use the explore functions or anything that exposes me to just scroll on things that network, I won't see yeah. um it's really just my extension of Facebook going onto Instagram which is just pictures and no no writing so yeah. it wouldn't I wouldn't scroll for more than you know, the two minutes it takes for the new pe people I know to have put something up, which yeah, is a bit sad. But... Like brands and personalities. And yes. Like a lot of bands that I like or a lot of like artists that I enjoy. And that kind of stuff is like nice to see. Yes. But then it starts to get like intermixed with like people being like, buy this, like do that and all yeah. these kind of things that, yeah. Because mm. like if I, 
at the end of the day, if I just followed people that I knew, first of all, I wouldn't have a lot of my feed, but also it would be a matter of like, I think a lot of people fall into the trap of like the perfect, like Instagram, perfect life kind of stuff. Yes. Yes. And I think, especially when you talk to like your close friends and you see that they're posting like this really great photo of them and their boyfriend, like at a winery or something. And then the next day they're being like, well, I'm feeling really shit and I've had a really hard time. And it's like, like Instagram is not reality. And even though we all know it, we still don't really know it. And it's just, yeah, like no matter what you're looking at. And there's still 70% of the feed is still photos of food. Yeah, I know. It makes me really freaking hungry all the time. <laughs> I literally have a whole saved section on my Instagram, like, saved thing that's just, like, food that I want to cook. And it's all this, like, ridiculous, like, aspirational, like, eight-layer cakes and, like, all this crap that I'm never going to make. Like, it's... Uh, But then I think, like, also for my generation, like, there's definitely, like, a metric of success that's measured from Instagram. Right. And, like, I have a few friends who are artists that, like, try to share their work on Instagram and, like... I know that it's really hard to to kind of assess what your worth is when you're basing it off like how many likes you've gotten and people who are really really talented that are struggling because they don't know how else to share their work or how else to like connect with their community and when there are so many people on this one platform that are all kind of in a similar area mm-hmm. and some people are just like it's a moment thing like some people get on there at the right time or they're just better at using hashtags and it's like how good you are at using a hashtag is yeah. not indicative of your worth or how talented you are. Like it's Was the reason that they stopped showing how many people liked a post, did that come from that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it was like a part of the influencer thing. And I, yeah, I wondered if that was like part um, advertising as well because people like a lot of influencers do those like ads in their feed and I think they're meant to hashtag ad or like make it clear right. I know that the Kardashians always put in if it's a paid advertisement but I think a lot of like the smaller influencers were not doing that and that's not okay as well no. um, but I did hear this thing the other day about how Instagram's going to start calling out um, photos that have been clearly photoshopped and it's like we'll be posting like this is not a real image and stuff on these photos so which is interesting especially for models and influencers and stuff who are posting these photos of them with like perfect bodies and yes which yes. it can be such a negative thing for especially yes, for young, young people, people to engage yeah. with yeah, yeah. so it'll be interesting to see how that changes people's perception of instagram yeah like i don't know if it'll make a difference i don't think it will to be honest because you're still seeing that image and again like like i was saying before like we know that the lives that people are putting on instagram are not real but we still buy into it yes and it doesn't matter if someone says to you, this is fake, you're still... No, but nobody wants to look at pictures of people complaining and no. being miserable. That's true. <laughs> that's, that's, not, true. that's not interesting either. And I think also to, like, I mean, partly my own Instagram feed I use as, like, a kind of a flip back, like a scrapbook of the things that I've done. Mm. And so, like, I want to look at the things that were nice and happy yes. and, like, brought yes. me joy. And All memorable. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah. And I think that's the scariest thing about it. It's, like, we love technology and we hate it. And even if it wasn't around, like, then what? Like, there is no better way. I think that's just, like, the nature of, like, being alive. Like, Yes. Everything's we can't alive. go backwards. Yeah. yeah. I mean, these things are here. Um, you can manage them to the degree that you interact sensibly with them, but you can't get rid of them. And, you know, there's a huge amount of positives from all these things, of yeah. course. So. I just, I do find it really frustrating when we have that whole narrative around, like, oh, things were, like, better back then. Like, oh, oh who says that now? Like, Oh, still, people still do. <laughs> no. It's definitely, and like, well, it's, it's that anymore. whole, it's the whole thing around like millennials, particularly, like 
millennials are so hopeless and it's because they use social media and it's because they were never taught proper responsibility and meh, 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 meh. And it's like, well, actually, everyone's hopeless. Like, this is the way it's always been, but people are just paying more attention more to what you're doing now. now. Yeah. yeah. And, like, we're just hopeless about different things. Like, except that people are all bad and stupid. So. <laughs> <laughs> Give me up on that in. It's true. <laughs> if you're a boomer and you want to know more about the millennial world, you can find out everything you need to know in Katie's book, Oldie's Guide to the Millennial World. If you need some lessons on how not to be a trash human, as I once was, you can get wise and get it together by reading my book, How to Adult. I'm Anna Blackie, and thanks for listening.